Welcome to the Collide Podcast. We're a growing community of everyday chicks colliding with Jesus in our mess, our pain, our joy, and our stories. We value showing up as we truly are, so that's what you'll find here. Walls and masks being torn down so that we can allow Jesus to meet us where we truly are and hear about other women doing the same. We can't wait to collide with you. You know, there are things that happen that are ground zero moments. But if we don't allow those to change who we are and how we're living, we go back to the same, you know, live the same way we always have. And I've had so many women since ask me, you know, do I have to go overseas to, ha- to wake up? And no, that's, that's not the point of my story at all. Welcome to the Collide Podcast. I'm Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide. And today I'm so excited to interview Kristen Welch. Kristen is the founder of Mercy House and the monthly membership club, Fair Trade Friday, and jokes that she sometimes writes books. We're going to talk about that. She loves traveling and experiencing new cultures, trying new foods, and is a big fan of all things fair trade. Kristen shares her broken and beautiful story in her memoir, Rhinestone. Jesus and shares how it's changed the way she parents in raising grateful kids in an entitled world and raising world changers, all books she's written. She's wild about sweet tea and she has the things for globes and maps. She loves color and words and says her house has a lot of both. I wish we could see her house today as we have this conversation and sit in that color. Kristen is a wife of more than 25 years to her husband slash best friend and is in the midst of parenting teens and a young adult. So today, I'm so excited to dive into a conversation and talk about mercy in action, acting on your compassion, leaning into the work of impacting lives, and all that comes with being a world changer. Because Kristen, you are a world changer, lady. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I have so many things I want to ask you, but let's start with your love of coffee first thing in the morning. And then you yes. move to tea in the afternoon, which seems to make sense because it sounds like you just moved to the country and now describe yourself as a new gardener, a rural trash burner and a snake killer. So this new life of yours sounds super interesting. I want to hear why the change and what did your old life look like before this? Well, we started our nonprofit 11 years ago. Uh, We started it in our garage and that eventually moved to a Home Depot shed in our backyard. And then it moved down the road to a warehouse. And then it ended up um, in a larger warehouse uh, about two minutes from the house we lived in for 10 or 11 years. And so um, very convenient, um, but we discovered uh, it was really hard to get away um, from work that never ends. And so actually during the pandemic, um, with my kids home from college and uh, living a lockdown life for several months, we just started dreaming of having physical separation from a work that we want to do the rest of our lives. And mm-hmm. we felt really just a pull to, um, to get away from the chaos of city living. And um, yeah, we moved to the country in March. Um, I now commute to work uh, three to four days a week. And during that commute, I, um, I process on the way home from work, everything that happened 
during the day and on the way to work, I pray about what we're going to face because we face a lot of chaos and crisis in what Mm -hmm. we do. And so that time in between has given me the space that I needed. Um, But we also now burn our trash and kill (laughs) copperheads in our driveway and hear coyotes. And, um, but we love it. It's definitely given us, um, it feels like a gift in this season just to have a little bit of space. Um, we, we're in this for the long haul. My husband's the CEO of our nonprofit that we started 11 years ago, and I serve as the founder and chief storyteller. So um, this is a family ministry that's grown way bigger than our family, but we want to, we just want to serve faithfully to the, till the Lord has something different for us. So I think for some crazy reason, the country is giving us that, um, that gift of just some peace and quiet away from, from ministry. Yeah. I love that you're setting your life up so you can do long haul mm-hmm. service. That's so, so smart. You guys started this nonprofit called Mercy House and you said 11 years ago. And from the research I've done, which I'm so excited to hear more from you, your organization funds maternity homes in Kenya created to aid pregnant girls living in extreme poverty. How did your family start this? I mean, you're over here in the United States. Like what, what's the origin story? Well, I'm an English major. Um, so I am definitely living a different life than I planned. Um, but as a writer, um, I was writing a blog about a dozen years ago, and that was sort of when mom blogging was new and original. And, um, I became a full-time blogger. So that's what I did for a living um, with kids at home. And that blog um, took me on a trip to Kenya with Compassion International as one of their bloggers. And at the time they were taking influencers um, around the world to write about poverty. And so um, that's how I ended up in Kenya in 2010. And um, that trip changed my life. It sounds very trite, and um, but it literally... Uh, it literally turned my life upside down. I think I thought I was going to um, use my platform and be a voice. And all of those things happened, but I really, um, God used the trip to wake me up from a deep, lazy, spiritual slumber. Um, So I physically woke up in a slum in Kenya and I spiritually woke up um, in a way that I had never um, lived before. And so that trip was really a collision of what I call my sweet spot, which I think is God's, um, God's timing with our skill. When those things collide with our passion, mm-hmm. um, that's how I found, found my sweet spot. And so mm-hmm. um, that was definitely um, just I, I, life-changing doesn't really, I think I was just wrecked, 100% wrecked by what I was experiencing there. What were you experiencing there? What did you see? So when I went, it was really to be a fly on the wall. Um, I love the ministry behind the trips was really a vision trip. We didn't do any physical work, um, which really began my early understanding of, um, really redirecting my view of missions. Um, What we do now, one of the main things we do is we provide jobs for indigenous people as a Mm -hmm. form of empowerment. 
And so um, going and not doing work and taking away work from indigenous people, but just looking at the situation. And so um, when I say I woke up in a slum in Kenya, I literally walked into the heart of the world's largest slum as a little mom blogger from Texas. And um, every sense was um, just assaulted with the world's normal. And I had never experienced the world's normal. I only know about my own normal. And really the world's normal popped my bubble. And um, I think I had this moment with God that was so clear and revolutionary. And I, I was in the slum and I was overwhelmed with every emotion and sense, um, but I was angry. I just felt so mad that I didn't know that this existed. And as a believer, I knew, I remember thinking Jesus loves all the children of the world. And here I am looking at his people that he created, that he loves, that he created in his image that are no, they're no less important than I am. And they are living in extreme poverty and there is suffering that I, I couldn't reconcile what I was seeing with who I knew God to be as just a kid growing up in the church and then becoming um, a youth pastor's wife. And so really it was this collision of the normals for me. And I remember feeling angry with God. And, and I, I remember stopping in the middle of my path, my fists were clenched. And I was like, God, how can you allow so much human suffering? I just needed to know. And the minute I asked that question, he turned it around on me. And he said, now that you've seen this, how can you allow so much human suffering? What are you going to do about it? And it was really this moment where I understood the gospel, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that he put us on the earth to meet the needs of his people. And so um, I went from that moment to we were you know, on a destination that day, and we were going to an orphan's home. Um, he was a child sponsored by Compassion International, and um, we were learning all the different facets of their ministry. And what was unique about this kid is it was an orphan-led home, which means he was the mom and the dad for his brothers and sisters. And this was like a 15-year-old kid. Um, we stand in his home, which was the size of my master closet, no electricity, no running water, just you know, he had nothing. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling so sorry for this kid, just complete pity for, he lost his mom and dad. He would get up at four in the morning to go buy vegetables, to sell them before school so that they could eat for the day. And then he'd walk his sibling. I mean, it was just mind blowing. Mm -hmm. But what I couldn't reconcile was the smile on this kid's face. He emitted a joy that I did not have. And it was, it, it made me stop in my tracks. And he asked the small group of bloggers who were standing crowded in his home if we had any questions. And I've always regretted asking this question, but I also think it really showed where I was spiritually um, because I looked him right in the eyes and I said, how can you be so happy? You have nothing. And he looked at me with pity and he said, Ma'am, I have Jesus. He's more than enough. And that's when everything changed for me because I had Jesus too. I've had him my whole life, but I added him like salt and pepper to a meal 
to flavor my life. And I wasn't living a Jesus-centered life. And I left that kid's home, never seen him before, never seen him since, mm-hmm. um, left his home determined that my life would put Jesus at the center. So came home from that trip. Um, my husband met me at the airport with my three kids. They had flowers and, you know, a gift candle. I didn't even open it. I, I just said, I am not the same woman that you dropped off. And I spent the next four months trying to figure out what my new normal was. And I think that's one of the things that is so powerful when we allow God to interrupt our everyday normal. It creates a new normal if we'll allow it to. And so a new normal began um, in 2010 for me. And that new normal was trying to write my life. And, you know, I, I don't think I was living in sin. I loved Jesus. I was a believer. If I had not died and gone to heaven, I would have spent eternity with Jesus, but I did not have purpose or joy. Those were the two things that were missing from my life. And um, I found them. I have found purpose and joy in giving my life away. And um, what, what the emptiness doesn't exist any longer. Um, And I found that in the world's normal. Mm. It's so crazy that you describe yourself as almost in a sleep state and God woke you up. You used words like you were assaulted almost. It's almost like God needed to get your attention. Like he was like, hey, like wake up. And it's such a powerful story. There are so many intersections in our life where God tries to wake us up. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have to take us overseas to do that. It could be a financial devastation. It could be um, a sick kid. It could be a rocky marriage. You know, there are things that happen that are ground zero moments. But -hmm. if we don't allow those to change who we are and how we're living, we go back to the same, you know, live the same way we always have. And I've had so many women since ask me, you know, do I have to go overseas to ha- to wake up? And no, that's that's not the point of my story at all, because my husband was living a different. He was on a different journey than I was. He wasn't empty. He wasn't um, filling his life with meaningless shopping. Um, he was asking God to somehow let us live a, la- a radical life. And so God didn't take him overseas to get him to that point. He took me overseas to get me on the same page with my husband so that when I came back and I said, I think we should live a radical life. He was like, let's go. He didn't bat an eye when I said, I think God wants us to start a maternity home in in Kenya, which is a crazy, I mean, that's a crazy thing to say, especially since we have no experience and we, we do have a fully indigenous staff. We empower local people. So we didn't really have to know about how to start a maternity home. We empower and employ people who do. We just fund it. Um, but he didn't bat an eye on it because I think God was getting me on the same page with my husband. Right. He was readying you. He was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. And so I think we have to look at those experiences in our life that are, you know, ground shaking and say, okay, God, what are you trying to, you know, say to me in this? 
Mm. You know, what's so interesting, though, about your story, I know a lot of people that go on trips to third world countries and take mission trips with their churches. And there's a difference between having compassion and having mercy. You, you can go on a trip and you can empathize or have some sort of sadness or feel bad about someone else's plight. But mercy is compassion coupled with action. And a lot of people don't decide to take their compassion farther. What do you think it was that made you go, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do something about this. I'm not just going to feel sad and feel wrecked and assaulted, but I'm actually going to step into the work of changing the world. I think it really, it really has to do with who I was when I went on the trip. Um, because today, I mean, we've had 2020 was very hard for everyone in the nonprofit world. It was brutal. 2021 mm -hmm. has been just as hard because um, we import and export product around the world um, to employ women. So we've got supply chain shortages and shipping delays. So it's been hard. And I told my mm -hmm. husband the other day, if I was invited to go to a rural country today, I don't know if I would I would say the same. Yes. You know, because I didn't know what I was getting into. Um but I was so sick of just the, filling my life with all the things the world said I needed, like the American dream. And I was so full, I was sick. I just was an unhealthy believer. And so I was at that place when I got invited on this trip. And my immediate response to the person who called and said, I'm calling from Compassion International, you know, I said no. Absolutely not. I'm not going on this trip. That night at dinner, I told my husband, hey, funny thing, compassion call. They asked me. And at the time, it was kind of a big deal. And he was like, why in the world would you say no to this? You know, just ask the question, why? Why Why did you say no? And I mm -hmm. said, well, because, you know, we have a two-year-old and who's going to watch the other kids? And I had all these excuses. And he just stopped. And he was like, Kristen, those are all excuses. I want to know Why? You don't want to go on this trip. And I said to him in a moment of vulnerability, I said, I'm afraid it's going to change my life. And he said, maybe it should. Maybe this is it. And so I think God was priming me. And, you know, looking back, especially those four months after the trip, I was in total labor. I was birthing something. But getting to that point of birthing something, God had to let me try it out on my own. And I did. I mean, I, and, and the thing about it is I was a good person. I mean, I'm an Enneagram one. I do good really well. So I, I was just good at everything I did. I mean, in the sense that I'm a good mother, I'm a good wife. You know, I checked all the boxes. I read my Bible every day because that's what a good Christian does. So it wasn't, I'm not trying to paint a picture of, a rebellious woman who was living in sin. But really, I think I'm describing a lot of women in the church who don't have purpose or joy. And I was looking for the next Amazon Prime Day or the next thing, that next little hit to make me feel good, whatever that was, whether, you know, and of course we feel that in different ways. It could be food, it could be shopping, whatever. Um, but it, it stopped feeling good. And so I just, I think I was desperate to change my life. And I had, I, I saw something I had never seen before. Um, 
every day they would take us to, I felt like something worse on that trip. It was about a three week trip. I mean, God, he just broke. I needed to be broken and, and he used that trip to do it. And so, um, I, I go back to those moments a lot, you know, 11 years later, this is nothing like I thought it would be. I mean, I'm living a crazy, weird life now that has, I mean, mercy has taken over my life in every way from who stays at my house to what, where I go every day and what I do. Um, and I go back to that moment and I, I draw strength from it. Mm-hmm. I go back to that ground zero moment where my passion, God's timing and the skill that he gave me collided. And I, I pulled from that on days when I'm very discouraged and I'm wondering, am I doing the right thing? Am I making a difference? Can I, can, can I continue to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to believe that every God has this for every single person. There is nothing unique or special about me or my family. Nothing. I think God has something for all of us to do. It doesn't, obviously it's not start a nonprofit or do what I'm doing, but he has a plan and purpose for each of us because he's gifted us. And when we give that gift away, he gives us joy and purpose in return. And it's just this conduit of emptying yourself and he fills you back up and you give what he's given you. And I just wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Most of us desire to do amazing things with our lives, but we often doubt that we can. We let our weaknesses boss around our strengths and our insecurities drown out our gifting. But what if God could use exactly what we've got to pull off something big? Our book titled Yes You is a beautifully designed, full-color, 12-part Bible study where we center around the passage in John 6 where Jesus fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. As you engage scripture, read personal stories, and reflect on questions that invite you to new places, you'll be challenged, encouraged, and inspired. We can't wait for you to dive into this study, so go to wecollide.net slash store to get your copy of Yes You now. I am right there with you, sister. You just preach that because I want all women to know that God wants to purpose them to do amazing things. And I love that we're seeing that in your story. I want to rewind back to, so you come home, you, your family greets you, you have this major life change and you express it. Your husband's on the same page, but did God download a vision right away? I mean, why, why Mercy House? Why a maternity home? did you have that idea from, from your trip in Kenya? Was it formulating as you came home? How did it unfold that you do what you do in Kenya? Well, first of all, no, I had no, I had never been to a maternity home. I wasn't a teen mom. I, I mean, that was not on my radar at all. Um, But when I returned from Kenya, I did meet some survivor prostitutes. And I learned the term survival prostitution, which really impacted me because at the time my oldest was um, like 10 years old. And so I met girls, you know, 12, 13, 14, 
who had been put into prostitution, not for money, like the traditional sense of prostitution, but they had been put into prostitution by their own mothers um, so that they could prostitute for food to feed the rest of the family. So that was shocking to me. That blew me away. Um, I sat in the homes of the, it was since, not on that trip, but since I've gotten to know many of these women and I understand why they made that decision. They basically sacrificed one and themselves to take care of the rest. Um, I've just never known that kind of desperation. And so when I, when that world's normal impacted my own, I was very moved by that because I wrote a mom blog. So I wrote a blog as a mom to other moms and it was funny and inspirational and cute stories and not a lot of, um, not a ton of meaning behind it, but it was at the time popular and I had a million page views a month and people were reading what I was writing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, as I came home and processed what God was doing in me, I took people with me through that processing. And, um, about two weeks after the trip, someone who had kind of read my raw journal of the days that I'd been there sent me a CNN documentary that had been done in the slum that I had visited. And it was on um, survival prostitution. And so I really connected with that because, um, again, I'm a mom of young children. And I was writing to moms and these were moms, even though, because the article, the, the documentary really went into like what was happening when these girls were getting pregnant and some were self-aborting. And so it was like this really horrible situation. And so even at that point, I was not thinking, oh, this is my yes, I'm going to start a maternity home. But I connected with um, a compassion a benefactor who was a senior in college at the time. And she had been my tour guide into the slum that Sue Compassion said, hey, take this group of bloggers. I connected with her. And so I sent her this documentary and I said, hey, this is the slum I met you in. Is this really happening in your area? Because I knew that she was local and she'd be able to say, yes, this is a problem or no, it's not. And mm -hmm. she immediately responded. And she was like, yes, many of my classmates fell prey to this. It's terrible. It's very real. And so then I said, okay, I'm, I live in North America. I have more money than three fourths of the world, which I didn't consider myself rich at all, but most North Americans don't, but we compare ourselves to people who make $2 a day. We're all very wealthy. And so I knew I had a few hundred dollars that I could invest in someone who was doing something to help those girls. So I had narrowed down, like, this is a problem that I see that obviously there's a documentary about it. It's a problem. Who is solving this problem? Because that's who I want to give my money to. So even from the very beginning, I was like, I'm going to do what Americans do. I'm going to say, hey, have some cash. Let's, let's help in this situation. So this gal in Kenya said, okay, I'll, I'll help you find someone who is solving this problem. Three weeks passed, and I'll never forget, I was standing in my kitchen stirring dinner, and I got a Facebook message from her, and she was like, I have literally been to every NGO that I could think of. I've walked miles across the city. I've made phone calls. I can find no one helping girls who get pregnant from survival prostitution. She said, as a matter of fact, many of the child sponsorship programs turn the girls out when they do get pregnant. And I, all wow. of a sudden I found a hole that no one, I could find no one. And we're still the only maternity centers in the country. 
So there was a hole that, and again, I didn't think, oh my goodness, I know how to solve this problem. Even today, I don't really know how to solve it. We just, we're just trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. But long story short, together, that young woman who was graduating from college, in her research for me, God began to burden her with the same problem. So she has been our in-country director for 11 years now. Wow. I used the money from my blog um, to hire her um, four months after that trip. And so she graduated from college. Her first job was to start an NGO in Kenya. And I started one in America. And together, we're a a force, um, but not for the reasons that you would think. I think we, um, we really believe in the power of prayer. We have fasted together more days than I can count. Um, and we love Jesus and we want to just obey him. And so that's the force behind us is the Holy spirit. Um, and he gives us the same mind more often than not. And so we've been able to accomplish some pretty amazing things together. We just mm-hmm. rescued our 16 pregnant teen in Kenya. Um, so pretty amazing wow. legacy there. Give us a snapshot of what does Mercy House do? What do you so, what do you do to break the oppression and the cycles that yes. women are stuck in? So in Kenya, we have three maternity centers. Um, one of those is a transition home for girls who um, are direct um, victims of survival prostitution, which means they cannot go back home until their mothers um, are empowered with work because that cycle will not be broken. Um, mothers don't want to put their girls into prostitution. That's never, ever, I've never met a woman who wanted to do that. It's always out of desperation. So we really began providing dignified jobs very early on. So we have artisan groups in Kenya. Um, many of those have family members of the girls from the maternity homes. And so um, we've turned grandmas into master weavers who sit at looms all day long. It took about two years for their training mm-hmm. and now they make beautiful rugs that we wholesale. Um, so this, the Kenya side is, is boots on the ground, um, very difficult. Um, anything that you can fathom that goes into rescuing a girl out of prostitution um, and who is pregnant. So we have every kind of health condition you could imagine. Um, it's very hard, very heartbreaking work. Um, and at this point, 60 babies in, I think we've experienced just about everything um, from death to, I mean, just the full gamut. So it's very hard emotional work. Um, in America, I just, the first five years, I just tried to fund everything that we wanted to do in Kenya. And so, um, that has looked different, um, but we started subscription clubs about seven years ago, fair trade subscription clubs, because we, we were creating artisans out of very poor women through skills training. Um, and then we needed a home for all that product. And so we were one of the first fair trade subscription clubs. And now we have 5,000 members in North America, um, It's all, all of our subscription boxes are packed by volunteers that come to our nonprofit. Um, We have retail stores um, like brick and mortar. We have Mm -hmm. um, online stores. 
we have a shopping app that came about during the pandemic, which is how we make 50% of our revenue now. Um, so 2020 was a big year pivoting for us, but we do live sales every day um, and then one night a week. And, um, and so that storytelling for me has really shifted into video storytelling, which is I'm very uncomfortable with. But again, I just want to do what Jesus wants me to do so that I can continue empowering women. Um, so we're good at create, uh, creatively pivoting um, depending on what happens. Um, so we sell a lot of fair trade product that provides a lot of dignified jobs around the world. We take all the proceeds from that money and we support our maternity homes in Kenya. Um, that's nutshell um, what we do. You have your hands full. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you went on a church trip, lady, and you came back and I mean, that's you list all the stuff you do. Are you ever <laughs> overwhelmed by how God has grown this like a hundredfold? Every day. I mean, every day. I, for so many years, I think my, my mantra was, I can't do this, but God can. Um, so there's a lot of his strength being made perfect in weaknesses. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of strength finders. It's a, mm -hmm. a, a test, I guess. Um, a few years ago, I took that and we gave it to our staff. And then we had like a facilitator come in and the guy who was facilitating had no idea who we, you know, the individual people were or their strengths, but he picked off the top sheet and he read out the strengths and he said, okay, who, what does this person do here at Mercy House? Because I've never seen a combination of strengths like this. And he said my name and everyone started laughing because I started Mercy House. And, and he was like, what do you do here? And I said, I started, and he was like, your strengths make sense for what you do. And I just started crying because it was the first time that I felt like my entire life, God has been equipping me for this right here. And, and I love it. It's so hard. And just being type A and wanting control, this is, it's hilarious that God would put me in charge of something that is so out of my control. I mean, every aspect of what we do is out of my control. Um, but I, I've matured in my faith because of it, right? Like that's, kind of the journey that Jesus takes us on. Um, but I do feel instead of, I don't think I can't anymore. I just always think he can, God can. I mean, this is his. Um, in 2020, it was difficult for, you know, so many reasons and we didn't know if we would survive it. And I remember sitting with my husband at our kitchen table, making a list of who we would lay off first, you know, and in the very beginning, we just didn't know because we're donor based and we had to close our retail stores and um and his name was at the top of the list as our ceo and um i remember like god had been 2019 he'd really taken me on this journey of letting go of this ministry um just let it go because it's his and not mine and that culmination happened in 2020 where I was truly able, because I feel like if you carry something like this for too long by yourself, even though you think you've given it to God, it will crush you. I mean, this, it's just too heavy. It's, it's too many people are depending on Mercy House to live every day, literally. I mean, we have like 25 staff in America and a lot of them are single moms and, but 
we have thousands of women in other countries that are depending on us to sell their products so they can feed their families. So I, there's just no way I could, but it's the body of Christ. It's like this beautiful picture of how, you know, I get to be the tiny pinky nail on the body of Christ and Jesus is the head and he just makes it all work together. And, um, and so I feel like I've really been able to let it go that if it ended tomorrow, I would be sad, but Mm -hmm. I, I know that he would say, well done. You, you obeyed me. Like the success and failure was never up to you. It was all about you walking in obedience. And, um, and I think if if that was on my headstone, I would, I would be pleased with that. (laughs) You know, I imagine that there's women listening right now who have this compassion that's kind of rising up in them. And they're maybe considering acting upon it. They're considering doing something with it. What's your best advice to ready them for the risk and the courage and the hard work ahead? I think it would be to stop and take a deep breath and look behind you and look at where you are right now. I've learned that God doesn't waste anything. Um, There were, I was 36 when I started Mercy House. Um, and my kids are now 21, 19, and 14, and they're asking all these hard questions, my college kids, about their future and life. And they were like, do you feel like the first 36 years of your life were a waste? My son asked me that last week mm-hmm. because I hadn't found what I'm doing now, like this purpose. And I was like, absolutely not. I mean, that was preparation. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I don't look back and regret that at all because I draw from that now and God used that. And so um, I think I would just say, um, if you don't know what God has for you, look towards your passion and your skill. Um, There's only one you and what are you good at and what do you love doing? I think so many times we find um, our purpose wrapped up in, in that combination. Um, We always need God's timing as that third leg, obviously, because, I was passionate about writing as an eighth grader and passionate about motherhood for five years when I couldn't get pregnant. So, um, but the timing of all three of those happened when I was 36 years old. And so um, God doesn't waste anything. So don't regret the season that you're in. Um, So many moms of little kids come to our location here and they want to serve with their kids. And um, I think Sometimes they're, they want to wish away the current season so that they can do the real work. Of, and, and that's just a lie from the enemy. The real work is where you are today. What has mm-hmm. God had in front of you? Um, wiping chins and hineys is a service unto the Lord. I mean, if that's the season that he has us in. And so um, I think I would say God has you where he has you for a reason today. And how can you glorify him in that season? How can you glorify him today? Um, Because there's definitely a need. We just have to um, open our eyes and see it. Mm. Kristen, thank you for allowing the Lord to wake you up. You are changing so many lives and inspiring so many other women to be a part of changing lives. And I love that so much. It's so much of what we're about around here at Collide. And I know women are going to want to check out Mercy House and your blog and all the things. So how can they do that? Well, I think um, if you're interested in more of the journey, I've written some books, um, Rhinestone Jesus. Uh, saying yes to God when your sparkly safe faith is no longer enough is my first memoir. 
um, or my first book, um, and it's the story of starting Mercy House. I wore a rhinestone Jesus pin in high school, which is where the title comes from. Um, so that's kind of a lot of backstory. And then I've written some other books um, from parenting, just because Mercy House changed how we parent, and we realized we had an entitlement issue, and so we are really big proponents of gratitude. Um, and then I wrote a book that came out last March called Made to Move Mountains, um, just how God has a purpose, a unique purpose for each of us. Um, and then um, Mercy House Global is uh, the website where you can connect with our mission and our ministry. Fair Trade Friday club is all of our subscription clubs. We have a really fun shopping app. It's easy to download on your phone. And um, mm-hmm. that's where I tell stories almost every day. And um, yeah, those are some easy places to find um, what we're doing. That's awesome. Thank you so much for hopping on and sharing today. Thank you so much for having me. Using you in the world. What an inspiration you are. Thank you. For those of you listening, keep colliding and pay attention to what the Lord is trying to say to you. He might be trying to wake you up in some way and call you to be a part of loving on, blessing and impacting someone else in this world. I am so glad that he purposes us and he promises that you're no different, that he can do something amazing with your life. Keep colliding, friends, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at we.collide, on Facebook as at WeCollideWomen, and you can also visit our website at WeCollide.net to find our blog, resources, event information, and more. One last thing. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a few seconds and leave us a review? It seems like such a small act, but reviews help us to keep producing this content and help other women find it too. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode and letting us walk with you as you seek and collide with Jesus.